Loving Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for giving us breath. We thank you for waking us up this morning and bringing us to this place. Lord Jesus, truly, you are worthy of our praise. You are the only one that is worthy of our praise. And Father, we lift up the name of Jesus, knowing that we who have received him as our Savior have been saved for all eternity. And we pray even now, Father, this morning, for those who walk in darkness, for those who have never acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And we ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would draw them to himself. Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw us. Father, that your Holy Spirit would just blanket this place. And Father, that you would have your way in each of our lives. Father, we recognize Christ as our King, as our Savior. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen. You know, this morning we're going to be out of uh, Titus uh, chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 7. But we're talking about renewal. We've been talking about that uh, over the last several weeks. And uh, being renewed. And uh, not only in our lives, in our church, and in our walk. But this morning I want to give you the spirit for renewal. And what I mean by that is if, if you have tasted God's grace at the cross... If you have tasted his grace, then you are a changed person. When Christ comes into your life, it transforms you. And there's simply no way you can receive God's great gift, the forgiveness of our sins, his gift of eternal life, and have your sins forgiven by the blood of Christ and ever be the same as you were before. We become different See, by His sovereign grace alone, God raised you from being dead in your sins. And He gave you a new heart. He gave you a new understanding of the truth. And He gave you the opportunity to personally know Him. I love that. Because we personally know the one true living God. See, God's grace leaves us different than we have ever been before. But at the same time, there's powerful forces that are trying to revert you back to your old ways, if you will, that bombard you. I mean, the, the world does that. It attacks us daily with its false messages promise of satisfaction and pleasures apart from God. Even the flesh, your flesh within you, tries to, to draw you up away from God and it promises fulfillment if you will yield to it, if you will submit to it. And the devil, he lays these crafty snares trying to entrap you. To satisfy your needs in disobedience to God. And all of these forces, they, they, they tend to, to make us want to forget that, that God is in our hearts. 
That he's living within us. That we've been changed and transformed by his grace. And so we need to be reminded again and again and again about what God has done for each one of us. See, there's a word picture by Elmer Towns that illustrates why Christian ministry has failed to bring revival to America. I think this is something we need to hear. You know, sometimes children receive toys that are marked with three words that that promise problems ahead. Batteries not included. You know, that, that, that creates a problem because without batteries to energize these toys, they will not do what they were designed to do. And although they look like the picture on the box, they don't fulfill and they don't perform like the, the, the television commercial says they will. And like the toy without its batteries, we may look like a Christian should look, but we fail to perform as a Christian should fail to perform. We don't perform like we're supposed to because we lack the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin in our lives and to increase our effectiveness in ministry. You see, it's only as we yield more completely to God, as we we yield it all to Him and allow the Holy Spirit to exercise greater control over our lives that we can be energized by His power. So if someone is a follower of Christ and has been given the the batteries, if you will, and they're not performing, I want to say more to the point, we've all been given those batteries. We just need to make sure those batteries are turned on so that we can function as we should. But the key to renewal is not our plans. It's not our programs. It's not our techniques. The key to renewal is the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we don't don't hear that much. We don't celebrate the Holy Spirit as much as we should. Matter of fact, we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't want someone to think that we are a fanatic. It's the Holy Spirit. And see, you know, the, the enemy does not want me to preach this message. He's doing everything he can to block it. So we need to listen just a little closer. Tune in just a little bit more. But I want to read out of Titus chapter 3, beginning in um, verse 4. Paul writes this to Titus. He says, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, this says that believers, that it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates and renews the believers. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. But you know, if we're not careful, we may find ourselves in a situation like some of those jungle missionaries that I read about. They camped for several days out in the jungle next to a monkey colony. And they left and went on their missionary journey and they came back. And they came back during the day and what they saw was they saw the monkeys scurrying around their camp pretending to be the missionaries. They were mimicking them because that's what they saw them doing. And in the middle of the camp, there was a, there was a, a bunch of, of firewood piled into a big pile. And the monkeys were there and they were acting like they were warming themselves. What they had seen the missionaries doing. The only problem was there was no fire. There was no fire. See, the church can be like that. We can have firewood, but no fire. You know, Jim Elliott, in his diary, he asked the question, am I ignitable? Am I ignitable? Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be a flame. You know, the disciples, as they they went through emotional burnout, I want to call it, they saw Jesus, they saw his, his, um, his, his trial, his crucifixion, his, his burial, and it nearly snuffed out their flame. The resurrection and the 40 days after, Jesus served kind of as a bellows to, to, to help them, but, but still the fire just flickered. But then Scripture tells us, then the Holy Spirit came. It says, with a mighty rushing wind. As a mighty rushing wind. And each one of those disciples became human infernos. They were aflame with the Holy Spirit. Oh. I mean, we read about in the Old Testament and how the, how the, the, the Spirit participated in, in creation and, and, and how the, the, the Holy Spirit empowered the Old Testament prophets. How the Holy Spirit was present and it played an important role in Jesus' birth. But He never came for a permanent stay until Pentecost. And since then, He has made His home in every believer. And He makes God's firepower available to each and every one of us. See, the greatest evidence, though, of His work may seem to to most of us like it's pretty ordinary, it's pretty mundane. I mean, think about this. The Holy Spirit grows spiritual fruit doesn't quite sound like setting spiritual fires. Sounds kind of ordinary, kind of mundane. But his fruit is characteristic of Jesus Christ's life. And that shows up in us. 
and he gives us the best life that we could ever have through the Holy Spirit. He gives us that in creating in us Christ-likeness. And see, like the oil of the olive that is used in lamps, so the juice of his fruit lights up the Christian life. See, unlike Jim Elliott, most of us would prefer to hear the Holy Spirit say, lights out, so that we could get some rest. But rather, it's a battle cry. And he says, fire! Folks, that should be our cry. That we fire for the Holy Spirit. And the, 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 the fire is the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about it. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit for renewal. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We can make plans. We can give. We can do all the things we think we're supposed to be doing. But without the Holy Spirit, we are bereft of fire. We are firewood with no fire. This morning, I want to give you the hope and the how of renewal. The hope of renewal. You know, someone has said that, that um, the Holy Spirit is the displaced member of the Godhead, of the Trinity. We hear quite a bit about God the Father, and we hear quite a bit about Jesus the Son. But we don't hear a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. See, there's an apparent absence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And an apparent ignorance of His ministry. You know, it reminded me of a theology student who wrote on a paper. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and he, he was talking about confession, and he meant to type, you know, when we confess our sins, he forgives us our guilt. And instead of, he wasn't a very good, you know, at, at, at typing, and, and so instead of guilt, he put quilt. He takes away our quilt. And the, the professor, he, you know, he, he returned his paper and he wrote uh, on, the, on the margin, he said, never fear, little one. You'll never freeze because God has given us a comforter. You know, we, we laugh about that. But it illustrates a very pointed truth. Jesus said that the Father would send the comforter to abide with us forever. And ever since, the Holy Spirit has been carrying on His ministry in the lives of believers. You know, what do you, what do you know about the Spirit and His ministry in your life? I mean, sometimes it, it probably feels more like this. You know, God says, I have a plan for your life. And, the, the, you know, that's you there hanging on. It's my experience that, 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 that God is wild. And, and, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it scares us sometimes, and, and we're hanging on for dear life. But right there, the Holy Spirit is with us, guiding us each step of the way. But, you know, God is wild. And I love this picture because that's me. Many times I've felt that way. As you walk in the Spirit, as you live in the Spirit... The Spirit calls you and, and tells you to do things that you may not feel comfortable doing. Most of the time, you don't feel comfortable doing. 
But know that he is there guiding you, leading you, filling you, using you for that. And there's two basic terms in the, in the New Testament that are, are used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit to believers. The first one is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enters the life of a person when we're born again. When we, when we invite Jesus into our heart, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, that, is, that is, provides the means of salvation, but it is the Holy Spirit that effects it, that makes it work in our life. It's the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's provided for by Jesus as he died on the cross, but it's the Holy Spirit that brings it about in our lives. Think about this. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our need for salvation. John 16, he says, And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of that sin. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us to recognize that we got a problem between us and God and that we need to be made right with God. He's the one who convicts us of that in John 3, it says that he regenerates us in salvation. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It is, it is the Holy Spirit that regenerates us in salvation. Not only that, he takes up residence within us. You know, in, in John 14, Jesus said he abides with you and will be in you. John 14, 16, and 17. Romans 8, 9 says that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But he also seals us until the day of redemption. <laughs> in Ephesians 1, it talks about that we are sealed in Jesus, sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. He is the seal that keeps us until that day. I mean, what a, what a blessing it is, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of Him. But also what the New Testament talks about is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The infilling. And this is a term that refers to the control of the Spirit. You know, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul writes this. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, to squander, to waste but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And this is an analogy, if you will, between alcoholic intoxication and being filled with the Spirit. It's not a picture of an empty vessel being filled, but think of it in these terms. It describes the situation when a person is filled with wine. It's a matter of control. When a person is filled with wine, it affects everything about them. It affects the way they walk. You know, they may stumble a little. It affects the way they talk. They may slur their speech. It affects the way they see. It affects the judgments and the choices that they make. It affects their entire being. And what he is saying is, be filled with the Spirit and allow the Spirit to have control of every area of your life. That's what he's saying. Be not drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I think this is important because it has the idea of control. And when the Holy Spirit is in control, something happens in our lives. I mean, He delivers us from ourselves. Oh, how we need that. I'm a pretty small little package. And I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. Like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, when he said, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do. Wretched man that I am. You see, we need the Holy Spirit to deliver us from that man, from that person. He also cultivates Christ-like qualities in us. We talked about bearing spiritual fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these, there is no law. You can have them in abundance. The Holy Spirit also teaches us He reveals to us through the Spirit. God reveals to us through His Spirit the truth. And it searches all things. The Spirit searches all things. He leads us. I love this because Romans 8 says that those whom the Spirit leads are the sons, the the children of God. He also assures us that those who are being, you know, that the Spirit testifies within us that we belong to Him. That we belong to to God through His Spirit. In Ephesians 3, it talks about Him all in filling us, but it talks about us being strengthened in the inner man. So that we are strengthened for the journey. And I love this because in in Acts 1.8, it talks about how the Holy Spirit empowers us for witnessing. For you will receive power. For you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Maybe we're not being the witnesses we need to be because we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, we need to turn the batteries on. But recognize, that's the the hope of renewal. But let me tell you about the how of renewal very quickly. And I want to give you five words here, five things to remember as to how our lives are brought under control of the Holy Spirit. The first one is decision. The first one is decision. We must decide to live a spirit-filled life. It's an act of our will. Because, folks, you can choose not to. And many people do. They choose not to live a spirit-filled life. See, a positive response means that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But even more importantly, we allow the Holy Spirit to have all of us. He's not going to come in breaking the door down, trying to get Ridge's attention. He's a gentleman. 
He's going to take what you give him. The decision must be made that I want to live a spirit-filled life. And so I am going to submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's a decision. Secondly, it's daily. You know, many times we think, well, I gave my heart to Jesus. But this infilling is not a one-time event. It's not a spiritual vaccine. You don't get the shot and then you're immune to all of it. It's a daily filling just like you eat every day. You didn't eat when you were born and then you've not eaten since. I know that. I can see that. And you can see that. We eat on a daily basis and we are filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Being filled with the Spirit in that verse in Ephesians 5.18, it's a present tense verb, meaning it's a continuous thing. Being filled with the Spirit is a daily experience. Thirdly, I would say it's devotional. Because our spirit-filled life is nurtured by our devotional life. It comes through spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer with God every day. Folks, you want to dry up on the vine? Quit reading your Bible. Quit spending time with the Lord. Because literally, if this is all you're getting is on Sunday morning when you come to church, you're going to starve to death. This is not enough to sustain you all week long. And we wonder why we don't have victory. We wonder why we don't have power with God and power with people. It's because we're not spending time in His Word, communing with Him and allowing the batteries in our life to be turned on. We're ignoring them in large part. But you see also the Spirit-filled life is doubtless. The spirit-filled life is a life of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We live in faith. We were saved by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We're filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. Folks, it's not about our feelings. It's not, oh man, I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit there this morning. We walk by faith, we prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds, we cleanse ourselves, we come expecting God to show up. And you know what? As we collectively come together, the Holy Spirit within our hearts, it identifies with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we see the Holy Spirit of God magnified in this body. But it doesn't have to do with how you feel. We are filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. I mean, let's trust God's word for this relationship. Fifthly, there's a discovery. I mean, the Holy Spirit, this Spirit-filled life is is one of daily discoveries of God's riches. You know, in, in Romans 6, verse 13, it talks about presenting our members the parts, if you will, of our body to the Lord as instruments of righteousness. And we must present them to Him. And and this means self. It means every part of our being we have to present 
to the Holy Spirit. And when we continually submit ourselves to God's will, the discovery of the Holy Spirit's ministry is real. Because what's going to happen is you're going to start noticing fruit in your life. As you're standing before that person that is hurling accusations at you and you just want to come out and and beat them to a pulp, you're going to remain in self-control. And the patience of the Holy Spirit is going to come over you. And you're going to see the gentleness and the kindness and the love and the peace. Because He's bearing fruit in your life. So I'd like to wrap up this morning by suggesting that the evil is not so much out there as it is in here. It's right here. We don't need to go looking for darkness out there. The darkness is right here in our own hearts. Or at least it used to be in the believers. You know, every pastor could tell you about the 80-20 rule in the local church. You know, where 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And I think this is telling. This means that 80% of the people who attend church without, they, they attend without ever getting involved in any kind of service. Now, I haven't validated those numbers. I think we might be a little bit higher than most. But when you see this and you recognize this, there are many, many, many people who attend church but are not involved in ministry. I mean, think about this. We don't have a waiting list for people to teach one of our Bible studies on Sunday morning. We don't have a waiting list for nursery workers of people just wanting, hey, hey, I, I want to serve. I just want to serve. We don't have a waiting list for uh, connect group host homes or, or, or Bible study leaders for our small groups. Why is that? Well, there could be multiple causes. For one thing, life is busy. And other things just crowd out serving the Lord. But the reality is we all have the same amount of hours each week. So it really boils down to our priorities. What we choose. And serving the Lord is not a priority for many people that attend church. I want to be a part of it. I just don't want to do it. So why aren't God's people motivated to serve God? Why aren't God's people motivated to serve the Lord? I mean, I can't judge the motives of your heart. That's not what I'm here for. That's not my job. We each need to examine our own hearts. But I know this. There are many people who are what I'm going to call cultural Christians. They want to go to church when they want to go. And they feel good when they do because they feel like they've done something. They claim to believe in Christ as Savior, but I would submit that He's probably not their Lord. I mean, they don't let Christ control the use of their time or their money, they're not involved in service. 
They're not doing anything. They, they keep him compartmentalized in a drawer in their lives and they pull him out whenever they feel like it or whenever they're, they're ready to. And at the other times in their life, other things dominate their daily life. And serving, serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords is not their priority. They're not going to do it. You know, if, if I've just described you in love, I must tell you that you must examine whether you are truly saved or not. not I'm not here to beat you up. I'm a fellow beggar telling you where to find bread. But Jesus doesn't save you so that you can put him in a drawer and then just pull him out when it's convenient for you. He did not die on the cross for that. See, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. God has already exalted him to a name that is above every name. He is Lord, and he demands total allegiance in every area of our lives. He's not going to take a back seat to your career. He's not going to take a back seat to your family. He's not going to take a back seat to your hobbies. He is Lord. One brief story and I'm done. In the spring of 1830, way back, almost 200 years, a guy named George Wilson, he was sentenced to die for hanging, by hanging, for robbing and killing a guard and robbing a, a federal payroll. Sentenced to die. President Andrew Jackson, he was feeling gracious and merciful and he decided to pardon him. Unbelievably, Wilson refused the pardon of the President of the United States. The case became so legally confusing that the Supreme Court had to give a ruling. And Chief Justice John Marshall delivered this verdict. He said, a pardon is a parchment whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It has no value apart from that which the receiver gives it. George Wilson has refused to accept the pardon. We cannot conceive why he would do so, but he has. Therefore, George Wilson must die. Folks, we are sinners. But there's a Savior. And we've been given a pardon of all of our sin. We've given the, been given the power to deal with the future. We've been promised a home in heaven for all eternity. So now we have to surrender. We have to surrender and be forgiven of our sin. We have to repent. We have to receive the pardon. Otherwise, it does us no good. So you have to ask yourself honestly, is Jesus Christ my Lord? Not Ridge's Lord, 
Not my mom and dad's Lord. Not someone else's Lord. But is Jesus Christ my Lord? Is he my Savior? Am I counting on his blood that on that day when I stand before God, that I'm going to give an account for all of my sin? Am I, am I counting on the blood of Christ for that? Have I repented of my sins? Folks, I want you to know something. That pardon is there. It's full. It's available. But we have to receive it. Because if we don't, we're in the same boat as George Wilson. He's already been convicted and guilty. So have we. I ask you this morning to let your heart stay soft. Don't let it get hard. Let it stay soft and pliable. And allow God to use you to show others to Jesus. To tell them how you had your sins forgiven. So that that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. To shine for Him in this dark world. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, oh, how the church needs renewal. Father, oh, how we need revival. Father, it starts with us surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that there is Areas that we've given over ground to the enemy. We've fallen in love with the world. With its attractions. Lord Jesus, you call us deeper. And deep calls to deep. And Father, we know that our sins have been forgiven. And and the forgiveness, the blood has been given. And and the, the price has been paid. But we still have to receive it. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. Father, that we would quench the Spirit no longer, but that your Holy Spirit would guide us and convict us of all truth. Father, that we would be that light shining in the dark world. Father, that people, when they see us, they would see your Son, Jesus, and his likeness in us. That, Father, when they look into our eyes, they would see the gleam of the Holy Spirit shining through. Father, that that we would be on fire for you, Father. Father, that you would send your fire. Father, you've done it in the past, in the days of the great revivals, in the days of the great awakenings. You have sent your fire. And my prayer is that, Father, that... Even now, in this late hour, you would send your fire. Lord, I pray as your people that we would humble ourselves before you. That we would not be a stiff-necked people. But Father, that we would bow in humble obedience to you, Lord Jesus. That we would obey the commands of our Lord and Master. 
And God, that you would transform us. That you would help us to burn bright. That you would enable us to do that. That you would empower that. Not by our works. Not by, by our submission. But by your power. That you would flame us. For this world that is living and groping in darkness. God, we are called by your name. And we are your people. And we ask that times of great revival would come to our hearts, to our lives, to our homes, to our church, to our world. And we ask this in the power, the mighty power in the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.